And it was so awesome meeting those brothers from California. One of the brothers says that he was the, his church is the most fined church in America. They were fined up to $3 million in California. But let's bless the Lord for those brothers and sisters' faithfulness. Amen. Come on, you can clap like they were here. Clap like they were here. They stayed for first, so I don't blame them for not wanting to stay for second. Some of you are radical. You'll stay for two. Uh, but, man, they were here for first. They were a blessing. And I'm just so happy that during this season, I've been able to meet so many different people from around the country. I just feel like that's a Holy Ghost bonus, like a bonus for everything we went through. Because when we were going through it, we kind of felt alone. And then now a bunch of you guys came, new folks to the church, found us. You know, you found us, made this your church. And now people from around the country keep coming. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm on your team. And they're like, I'm glad we have you on our team. And I'm like, come on then, play it. Let's play the game. I'm ready to win the game, aren't you, of the worldview? I know it's more than a game, but don't you just kind of feel pumped up when you see other people making the shot or throwing the ball, kicking the ball, whatever sport analogy you guys like, hitting the ping pong ball with the paddle? I'm glad that I'm not the only one on the field today. I think it was uh, Winston Churchill. See if you can find it. No pressure if you don't, man of God in the back. No pressure. But I think Winston Churchill wrote a quote. Don't let us see what you're looking because it might get crazy if we see what you're Googling. But on your own, see if you can find it. He wrote something like, you can't criticize the person doing the thing unless you're in the arena with them. Like, you have to be down in the arena. You have to be the one with the dirt under your fingernails. Come on, ladies. You, got, you know, you got to be in that arena to make a comment. So sometimes people watch what we do as a church online, and they were like, oh, you should say this to them. You don't know what it's like to have somebody this close to you screaming at you with their bacon breath for like 20 minutes, you know, and then you just want me to be like, Jesus loves you. No, at some point, I won't be like, I rebuke you, you foul-mouthed sinner, you know? Uh, and I still love them, but I got to make sure I don't sin in my anger. Somebody say, uh-uh, don't do that. No, we do not want to sin in our anger because Jesus could be angry, flip an entire temple upside down, and still be righteous and holy. I want to be able to do that, amen? I want to be able to love you, rebuke you, spiritually spank you, and then still be like, man, let's go out and get something to eat. Who wants to hang out? I know spiritual spanking sounds weird. It sounds cultish, you know. Maybe I should stop using that lingo, but that's kind of like what we try to say when, like, sometimes everybody needs discipline. Somebody say discipline. We have to be down with it. There we go. This is great. I love this. Thank you, sir. Theodore Roosevelt. Of course I had it wrong. Never trust me on quotes off the cuff. I always get them wrong. I think I messed up Corey Tim Boom last week, and uh, just always look it up and check for yourself. Here it is. The man in the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong the man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done better than them. Let me read this again. Let me make sure I know how to read. It's not the critic counts. It's not the man who points out how, how the strong man stuff. Okay, I'm going to do this again. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, come on, and spit. 
Biddle, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to the to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. Give it up for a president who said something really inspiring. Wow, that's what's up. That's how I feel about serving Jesus. And it's okay every now and then if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. Just be teachable, right? Be ready to fix that mistake, fix that error. There are some things that I wish I could do differently in ministry. And there are some things I wish that I could change about how some of the decisions that I made. But I'm glad that I was in the arena standing up for the Word of God. I'm glad that we were and have been a church that really believes what the Bible says. And here's what I want to just encourage you with as we get into a message that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about now, okay? So somebody say, this is just the pre-sermon. This is the sermon before the sermon, and I hope you guys get some out of it because it's blessing me, honestly. It's encouraging me. And this is all just going back. This is the rabbit trail going back to those two brothers that I met. When you and I are daring to do the great things of God, you will know God more intimately in that growing experience while you feel the pressure, whereas if you were up in the Himalayan mountains somewhere trying to learn to walk on rice paper, calling that spirituality. Are you tracking with me? Because... Like, that is not just spirituality, like Batman-type moment. Like, I'm up here doing what my sensei says so I can, like, moonwalk on the rice paper. That does not count. You got to come down to Gotham, baby. You got to make it happen, Captain. You got to show me that what you are doing in your intercessory closet when you talk to your guardian angel, because there are a lot of spiritually weird people that I meet all the time, fruits, nuts, and flakes, granola Christians. And I'm not saying everybody who says they talk to an angel is a granola Christian. It can be for real. But most of them are a little bit fruity, a little bit flaky. I'm like, what are you doing on the west side? What are you doing out in the community? After you talk to your angel, Bob, what are you doing about this? After you went on a 40-day fast and your breath smelt like, you know, juice, because that's what you were drinking all the time, what did you do actually for the community? By God's grace, we were out there yesterday with these brothers preaching the word of God. And guess who walked on by? Guess who strolled by? Mayor Lightfoot. Come and put up that video, folks. I want you to see this. Mayor Lightfoot had, oh, you came back. I thought you had gone to Cali. Once again, whenever I call on you, you're gone. That's my thing, man. I call on you, you're gone. And then your friend, he's probably gone, right? Is he ever coming back? Oh, there he is. Let's give it up for the brother who goes to the most fine church in America. In America. $3.8 million. And they're all going to give it back in Jesus' name, right? It's done? Oh, you haven't even given it to him. They're going to pay you. God bless you. That's exciting. Take it. Take it. Amen. You're, 
Amen. You are amazing for telling me that because that's like how he, we, we first met. He's like, well, I go to the most fine church in America. And I just wanted to say back, and I want to be like, I go to the most hated church in Chicago, you know? <laughs> they wanted to burn us down. Like, this is bearing the marks of Christ in American uh, persecution. Afghanistan persecution is they set you on fire, hang you from helicopters. Here they threaten you with lawsuits and all of those different kinds of things. But it's real persecution, isn't it? And it's real, and, and we're suffering for Christ. And so here she comes, the mayor coming from a, um, a library, and this was not planned. I want you guys to hear this by God's grace. Go ahead and play it. Threatened to close our building. Mayor Lightfoot, do you remember our church, Metro Price International? Mayor Lightfoot, you sent your health code after me and the uh, Pentecostal Romanian church. Mayor Lightfoot, we pray for you, and as you can see, we're out here in the community. I would ask you, Mayor Lightfoot, to continue to support the local churches, which are the answer for the community. You threatened to close down our building by sending a certified letter through one of your messengers, Metro Praise International, as well as, as, well as Elam Pentecostal Church. And you did that. She heard me though. But the Bible says sin is a disgrace to any people. And so the church has to make a moral stand. Against abortion, against murder, against adultery. So we're praying for you, Mayor Lightfoot, as we pray for our leaders to know and love Jesus. God bless the blue. We back the blue. We back the blue. Even though we may not always agree, we believe that law and order will come in order when we follow the laws of God. And so we ask that everyone hearing or following Mayor Lightfoot today will follow the laws of God, which are above the laws of men. The laws of God are what will be judged by and held accountable for eternity in Jesus' name. And the laws of God are this. Amen. Let's give it up for a Holy Ghost dink. Talk about a Holy Ghost setup. She was like looking totally opposite of me. She's like, how did this crazy guy find me? God found you, ma'am, and brought me to you. That's what happened. I didn't have to go looking for you. God brought you to me. God, literally, God brought her to us because God has given us a word, and we love her enough to tell it as it T-I is, as it is. We're going to not hold back anything. And here's the reason why most pastors that she messes with when she gets Jesse Jackson all together and does these pastor coalitions, you know the reason why most of them won't tell her the truth is because they come there with a handout. They want something from her. We came there with the gospel out, guns blazing, Holy Ghost locked and loaded, click, clack. Click, clap, come on, throwing out the word of God because we love her. And here was the thing. I didn't want to come across unhinged. I mean, it already looks crazy. We're on the streets. We're preaching. So I didn't want to be like, I rebuke you, Mary life, for you follow the devil. La, 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 speaking in tongues and all of that. And then she would just, you know, she would just say, of course, them people are bat nutty. I wanted, I wanted to sound as respectful as I could. Mayor Lightfoot. I didn't want to 
I didn't want to call her by the name some of y'all call her by. You know, one, one had a character in a movie, Inns in Juice. I didn't want to call her by those names, okay? I wanted to respect her and let her know I'm praying for her. And also, I wanted to give her a John the Baptist rebuke that happened when your thumb was over the mic. But that's all right. She heard it, and you guys heard the tail end of it, that we need to com- keep the commands of God. Amen? And I say all of this to, to say God. God is giving you a voice. God has given me a voice. He's given you a voice. Be ready to speak and to spare not when that time comes. Speak with conviction. Speak with clarity. Make sure that your words are based in the scripture and they will hear you. I know that she heard us and there were some people around her that were actually amending what I was saying. So what I want us to do is I want us to pray for her that she will be saved. And then like in the time of Babylon, Daniel and others will be around her and make a difference in her life. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father, we lift up to you, Mayor Lightfoot. We pray for repentance to come, not only for her lifestyle and for what she believes and does, but for the wicked uh, stances that she has taken as a political leader. We pray for genuine repentance to come to her and your blessings to come upon her life, Lord, as she seeks your face and that those around her will be like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even willing to sacrifice their own notoriety or popularity to also present her the truth as well. We pray for blessings upon her, this city, and for safety to come to the streets and to blessings to come to our businesses and that we may prosper in Jesus' name. According to your gospel, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Open up your word with me to John chapter 8, verse 31. Today I'm going to be speaking on free indeed. Somebody say free indeed. Amen. You're going to hear where that phrase comes from. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture, comment on it, read a little bit more, and then we'll see if we can tie together what's happening here. Just to catch everybody up, we're in a unique sermon series. Normally I go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible. Tons of those goodies online there for you for free on the app as well. And uh, this season, the Lord just put it in my heart to preach fresh out of uh, just whatever He's giving us in the moment. And so I don't come here with anything prepared. Mine notes for this message actually just came when I was sitting back there getting ready for the service. There they are, and uh, hopefully I will not embarrass myself, okay? And by God's grace, I preach two different messages and two different services because sometimes preaching the same one is boring, and I've gotten really excited in doing this. And now by God's grace, when we go back to the Bible, and uh, well, hopefully I'm in the Bible today, but you know what I mean, like verse by verse, I think I'm going to do two series, one for the first service, one for the second service. So I'm praying right now about John and Galatians. Is that, is that okay? So pray for it. If you got like your favorite you want me to go into, just pray that thou get that download. But those are the two I'm getting right now. Somebody say, free indeed. All right, let's go. To the Jews who had believed him. So what did they do with him? They believed him. Somebody say they believed him. It's important to get that. To the Jews who had what? Believed him. Thank you, Jesus said. He's talking to believers. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hold your finger in your Bible as we go to a different tab up here, Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said to the Jews who had what? Believed. Somebody say believed. Were they disbelievers? Were they Muslims? Were they atheists? Were they Hindus? What were they? 
Believers. Somebody say believers. It's important you get that because he's not talking to another religion. He is not talking to a group that disbelieves him. He is talking to a group that believes him. He says to that group, then, now, at this point, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. That same language is used by Jesus at the end of his ministry after the resurrection here in Matthew 28, 19. He says to the disciples, go and make what? Okay, he says, go and make what? Disciples of how many nations? Of all nations. So notice he, te- he tells the disciples to make disciples. In John, he said to those who believe, if you want to be a disciple, you hold to my teachings. Those who hold to my teachings are disciples. Now at the end of his ministry, as he's ready to ascend to heaven, he is now speaking to disciples, not just the 11, you know, the 12 minus Judas, but he is speaking to a group. They say upwards of 500, Paul records. And so he is saying now to those who went from only being believers to disciples, those who hold to the teachings, now your task is to go make disciples. You now make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey what? Everything. Somebody say everything. Amen. Other versions say all that I've commanded. Here it says everything I have what? Commanded you. Now go back to the John passage, please. Jesus speaking to the Jews who had believed in him. Jews are the only ones who can keep their religion while now taking on the belief in Christ. All other people must denounce their religion to take on the belief of Christ. You cannot be a Muslim Christian, a Hindu Christian, a Buddhist Christian, but you can be a Jewish Christian because from Judaism, Christ came. Christ is the king of the Jewish people, and now because of what Christ did on the cross, we can be engrafted in into Israel, into his kingdom. How many Gentiles are happy you got an invitation to the Jewish party? Amen. And we believe in this church that he's coming back for the Jewish people. He will save and deliver them in the end and that he will establish his kingdom there. And we, the church, will rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. That's part of our, what we call eschatology, our belief of the end times. So the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, hold on to these teachings, and you will really be my disciples. Now watch this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what for you? Set you free. Everybody say it together. Set you free. That's what it's going to do. So the proof of you now being a disciple, not just merely a believer, is that you are going to be free. Somebody say free. You are going to be free. We're going to learn what you're going to be free from, but this is very important. There are people that have superficial beliefs towards Jesus, but they have not yet become a disciple of Jesus because they're not holding on to the commands that he taught, and therefore they are still in bondage. Commands are not just prohibitions for prohibition's sake. Commands are prohibitions to protect. Commands prohibit behavior to protect the soul. We are commanded not to have sex outside of marriage so that we can protect our soul from the bondage of relationships done in immorality. We are commanded to abstain from homosexuality, lesbian, and the like behavior because it protects our soul and it protects our families and it protects our society and culture. We are commanded to not do such and such of things. We are prohibited from those things known as commands because on the 
the other side, there is a protection. There is a blessing in the commands of God. Go with me in another tab, my brother, to 1 John chapter 5. The commands of God are not burdensome. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So many people think, even Christians, that the commands of God are burdensome. Some of you here are married and you think the command to be loyal to your spouse is a burden. They are calling marriage a ball and chain. Have you heard that before? But I am blessed in the marriage vows. I'm blessed by the command to stay married to my wife. Some of you might be saying, well, you don't know my wife. But listen, I know God and he can fix your wife if it's like that. He can fix you too, sir. So here's the deal. We need to see the commands of God as for what they are, blessings. Look at 1 John chapter 5 and onward. Everyone who believes, so believing is good, but remember Jesus said we also have to involve commands. Let's see if John brings that up as well. He talks about believing. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his what? Command. So we go from being a nominal believer, someone who simply ascends to the facts of a proposition, to actually putting our walking to our talking, to being a doer and not just a hearer when we operate in loving God and keeping his commands. Now look at verse 3. In fact, this is what John says, in fact, this is love for God. Do you want a definition of what love for God is? It may not come from K-love and you feel goosebumps on your way to work singing that pretty worship song. This is love for God. It's just not you prancing around saying, oh, I'm a Christian. This is love for God to do what? To keep his commands. Oh me, oh my, his commands are so hard. You better say amen when you hear keep his commands. Can I hear an amen? I don't want to hear an oh my, oh me. I want to hear an amen. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. What is it that overcomes the world? Who is it rather that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We never move past our belief, but with our belief, we move past mental assent to obedience. And in obedience, we are regenerated, born again, not of the work of obedience being a deserving thing, like we did it, now we earned the, the born again. But out of obedience, we have shown that our faith is not merely propositional. It's not just a statement. It is the fact of the matter. It is what we trust and put our hope in. Otherwise, faith is like a wish. And we're not wishing for Jesus to save us. We're believing Jesus saves us. And we show that our faith is not dead by our action. New tab, James chapter 2, please. Because what is the difference between a simple mental assenting of faith, a, a confession of faith that doesn't have an obedience behind it? The difference is, is that if, if, if you have a real faith, you confess it and you live it. Scroll down a little bit for me, please. I want you to see real, genuine faith. It's going to be a little bit further down here in, in chapter 2, I believe. Keep on scrolling. There it is, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such faith save them? Does everybody see the question that's been asked? Not, not many of you. Let me repeat myself. 
I can slow down. Do I need, does a preacher need to slow down a little bit? Okay, some of you are there, but you weren't answering me a few minutes ago. I need everybody on the same page. Let's start in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Don't you judge me. I love God. You know, even though I'm drunk right now, even though I'm living with somebody I'm not married to, don't judge me. I have faith. Right? That's what this kind of person is right here. Maybe I need to act it out a little bit. Okay? Keep you guys interested in what I'm doing up here. It's kind of important, though, you listen on your own. But I'm going to do my part, okay? So somebody's like, well, you know, you Christians, you guys think you're better than everybody else, but I know my God is forgiving, and, you know, me and my boyfriend, we're going to get married one day, and, you know, God doesn't care about who I love as long as it's love and it's consenting. You know, homosexuality doesn't hurt anybody. I love this person. They love me. Bisexual. This is the kind of person that we're hearing James dealing with right now. He says if someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Are they going to be saved by simply saying, I believe, but had no deeds? Let's go on. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, and if one of you was to say to them, go in peace, keep warm, have a great day, bro, stay well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, somebody saying the same way, Paul, uh, excuse me, James here is not contradicting Paul who says in Romans 5.1 that we are justified by faith and that we as Protestants take the belief of justification by faith alone. James is complimenting what Paul has said, giving us a surround sound of what faith actually looks like. And when you understand the gospel of John is what we have been reading, you would understand that James is complimenting that disciples are those who believe and obey. James, John, and Paul, they're all saying the same thing. They're all saying the same thing. And he uses the example of if you were with somebody and they were hungry and they were in need or they were naked, literally standing in front of you shivering, would you really be a good person if you just well wish them? Well, I wish you get better. I hope you find some clothes somewhere as you got like three jackets on, you know, two coats, you know, I mean, two shirts and all that. You know, Jesus is saying through James, you are just a good for nothing well-wisher at that point. That does nothing for that person. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Is dead. Now go back to John chapter 8, verse 31. As we're going to get into this text, I want everyone to see this because I'm going to answer some big questions here, and I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on them. But from time to time, we get into discussions and debates in this church because we believe in the casting out of devils and we believe in deliverance. Go to Mark 16 as well, there at the end. And sometimes there's a debate among Christians. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? And many times I have heard this discussion go back and forth. And as a matter of fact, the position that I take is different than the one who mentored me. The one that mentored me in this was Carlos Sinacondia, wrote the book, Listen to Me, Satan, the great Argentine revivalist from the Buenos Aires revival in the 80s and 90s in Argentina. 
powerful man of God would answer and say, yes, a Christian can be demon-possessed. Now, some of you are going to get lost in that question and mix, miss the bigger picture of what I'm teaching, but I wanted to address it today because I already had on my heart to address Christian freedom. Somebody say, free indeed. So I thought during this time I could answer because it's always something circulating in a church like ours. Now, notice if you go just up to verse uh, 15, Jesus speaking, he says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So it's important to believe. But remember, we tie that in with the scriptures of discipleship, that true believers will be disciples who hold on to the word of God. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. We have some in the back. Are you ready to try? Half kid. I'm going to explain that in a moment. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken this to them, he was taken up into heaven, sat at the right hand of God. Then the what? The disciples, you see how it ties in. They're not merely believers, though belief is important. Then the who? The disciples, thank you, went out, preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Now, if you could scroll up there to the signs, please. Number one, I say to my Baptist friends, you need to become Bapticostal at the very least. If you don't want to become Pentecostal, at least become Bapticostal. These are real commands. Can you please go to Mark 16, 15, please? When you look at these signs, they are to follow the believer. So when I go to the Baptist Got Questions website and other sites that try to answer the question of demonization in Christians, I'm like, you talking about flying a plane and you don't even know how to fly a kite. This is a question among those who actually believe in deliverance. A question for those who actually truly pray for people to be spiritually free. So when I was in cemetery, I mean seminary, discussing these things, oftentimes I would ask my professor, Christian or not, have you ever, by God's grace, cast out a demon? I have. I have videos of it. You can look it up on our YouTube channel. Just type in Joe Irostic demon. It might come up there as well. I'm not one, but I cast them out. Some people think I meant deacon. No, we do not want to cast out deacons. We want to cast out demons. Our deacons are good, even though they deke around a little bit, and we have to pray for them, half kid. So there's supposed to be signs. There's supposed to be a power encounter. John Wimber of the charismatic movement, which is like our, our, our kind of weird uh, granola uh, cousin, you know, everybody has like a vegan family member. The charismatics of the Pentecostals are like the vegan cousin, okay? We love charismatic. Actually, my parents helped start a charismatic church in our house. I love them. And John Wimber's one of my heroes, so I'm teasing here. But John Wimber even came out of the rock hippie stage, uh, I mean, the, you know, the culture, went to church and he said, when do you guys do the stuff? I mean, we do our stuff all the time. We call it cocaine. We call it weed. We call it, you know, vodka, whatever. When do you guys do the stuff? When do you do the healings? When do you do the miracles? When do you cast out the demons? He wanted to know the stuff. And God had eventually uh, did amazing things through his life. He said we spell faith, R-I-S-K, around here because we're willing to take risks, and God is into that. God meets us where we step out on the water. And so what we as Pentecostal Christians, charismatics, need to be honest about this because it's part of our job assignment. We're supposed to cast out demons. How many believe we're supposed to do that? 
If you have any today, we would love to cast them out. This is when you save your marriage counselor some time, okay? You bring that marriage up here, and we'll see some freedom come. This is where you save. This is, I'm being serious. This is where you save that juvenile counselor some time. Bring up your young person. We'll discern in Jesus' name. Now, before we get too excited and start saying everybody has a demon and we start doing weird practices where you have to cough out one if you got it, if you've ever been around those churches with bags literally up at the front, it's not because we're serving food and that's your doggy bag. There are some churches that teach you're going to spit or cough out your demon in that bag. Where does it go after that? I don't know. Maybe it has to do with Ghostbusters and they put it into the plasma tank. I don't know. But that's what they think happens if you've ever been a part of a church that spits out demons in bags. It gets weird weird. But this is part of what we have to deal with. It also says we speak in new tongues. That's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm excited about that. My Catholic friends always get upset with me that we speak in tongues in our church. What you see in Acts chapter 2 is Peter, your first pope, speaking in tongues. What we don't see is him driving around in a bullet, cla- a bullet, a bullet case uh, bubble asking everybody to call him father when he dresses up like mother with a little pointy wizard hat on. A bulletproof bubble. Thank you, Holy Ghost. That was the word I was looking for. Bulletproof. Bulletproof. What you don't see is Peter in a... I'm going to repeat it. I like this. I want you to get this and share it with him at the barbecue. You guys speak in tongues. I go to the Catholic church. I feel sorry for you. At our church, we do what Peter, your first pope, did. He spoke in tongues. He didn't ride around in a bulletproof bubble, dressed up like mother, asking everyone to call him father with a pointy wizard hat on. That's what he didn't do. What he did do was speak in tongues. What he did do was cast out devils and demons in the name of Jesus. What he did do was have the power of God make him invincible. That's what snakes and the poison mean. It doesn't mean we go to the Appalachian Mountains and give it a try and see how spiritual we are. It simply means that if it were to happen, like Paul getting wood, a snake jumps out, bites him, he shakes it off, keeps going. Or as they tried to poison John, that one with Paul is in Acts. John is in church history where they tried to poison him, but it would not take. Signs and wonders, praise God. This is what we are to do. We are to pray for the sick to get well. So go back to John chapter 8. I'm actually okay with wildfire rather than no fire. I would rather you try to ride the Bronco than you be sitting on a dead horse all the time. How many are understanding where I'm coming from? If I get around you and you just wiling out thinking everybody's got demons and you want to cast them out, I'm at least giving you a thumbs up because you're better than the guy sitting on the Karis wheel in front of Walgreens or in front of Walmart and just going around on something dead. I love that people who believe they have spiritual power and authority want to see demons cast out. But what I want you to understand, first of all, is how freedom works in Christianity. Freedom works like this. You start believing in the proposition of who Jesus claims to be. He claims to be the Son of God. Jesus claims to be able to rise himself from the dead. He said, destroy this temple in three days. I will rise it from the dead. Uh, I will build it again. And from that, he was speaking of his body. So what we see is that Jesus made a lot of claims. And then his disciples testified to seeing him after the crucifixion, after the burial, that they saw him raised from the dead. People like Thomas were willing to die 
die for him. Thomas became a, a martyr in India. You can read that in church history. And that Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. He saw him after that on the road to Damascus. And so then you and I start by believing those propositions. Jesus is who he said he is. The disciples testified to these things. How many believe what the disciples said? Read, uh, go to 1 John chapter 1, please. I just want everybody to see this. I believe what they said. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John says to the people, when we gave you this story, we didn't just tell you what everybody uh, was making up. It says, in the beginning, we, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have what? Heard, which we have seen with our eyes. He's an eyewitness. He's an eyewitness, which we have looked on, and our hands have what? Touch Our hands have touched him after the resurrection. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now going back to John chapter 8, I want to answer the question that I don't want to get lost in the conversation of freedom, but I do want to answer the question, according to what Jesus is teaching here, is it possible for the Christian to be in bondage and to be demonized after they have been freed? Not according to this, because it says you will know the truth. Thank you for showing us the NIV Bible uh, information. Thank you, good sir. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Now let's keep going. Verse 33. They answered him. Now here's where they get sassy with Jesus. And anybody thinks that if you argue with somebody, you're not like Jesus, you are reading too many fortune cookies. The Bible has arguments. Jesus argued with people. Most of the New Testament is Paul rebuking people in arguments. Now, are there such things as fruitless arguments? Yes, there are pointless arguments. There are arguments that we get into even with other Christians, out of the flesh, out of our own vanity. Absolutely, not every argument is a good one. But to simply say we don't argue, you're not being Christ-like. You can't be more Christian than Christ, and Christ argued, okay? So everybody get out your popcorn. Okay, get out your popcorn, and let's watch Jesus' argument right here. He said to the Jews that believed in him, if you hold to my teachings, then you'll be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth was going to set you free. And now they say back, we're Abraham's descendants, and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? How many know they're lying right there? The Jewish people have been slaves most of their existence you were slaves 400 years in Egypt. What are you talking about, Jack? But that's what people will do in arguments. They'll say stupid things to try to win the argument to defend their point. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody who just throws out logic, facts, and everything and just says, I've got to win this no matter how? If you're sitting next to one right now, just give them a light nudge. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, we get into arguments with people all the time on the street. One of the arguments I got into some, with somebody is I said, well, you know, if you don't have God, you really don't know if you exist. And he goes, yeah, I don't know if I exist. And then he kept arguing. I go, Arr! I said, hold on, let's put on the brakes right here. The words that just came out of your mouth first nullify every single thing you said after that. Here's what you said in case you forgot. I don't know if I exist. Then you said a but and kept going on with things based on your existence. Let's just stop the argument right now. You don't even know if you exist. You could be a figment of my imagination. You could be the new virtual game that the aliens on Mars just came up with, started the game today, and here you are arguing in front of a preacher on their Sim City. 
So you can't argue from your place of stupidity and expect to get anywhere. You can't argue from this place of uh, pride and self-centeredness. So let us all, especially Christians, let us learn the art of argument, the, the skill of logic and debate so that we can be rational, so that when we have discussions with people who may not accept our scriptures, we can at least appeal to things that they understand and make the point, all right? And so let us be above them, not beneath them in our argumentation. But these Jews just went right to lying. We've never been a slave. They're getting offended, and when you're offended, you're normally not thinking. You're just emotional. And how many know feelings just want to be felt, but they're normally wrong? You should just leave them alone. Leave your feelings alone. Get out of your feelings and get into facts. Amen? So we haven't been slaves to anyone. That's a lie. How can you say that we shall be free? Thank you. Jesus is going to actually address the major point and not be distracted by their stupidity there. Look at verse 34. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to what? Sin. Thank you. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Now, what do you see the difference here? Slaves and what? Sons. Somebody say slaves. And somebody say sons. Slaves are slaves to what? Sin and sons belong in the house. They have a place in the family. Now do you see two different types of people here? So when we get into your deliverance, your issues, the kind of things you may deal with as a Christian, my first question isn't whether or not you can be possessed as a Christian or not. I want to know, are you a slave to sin? Because you might be professing to me you are a Christian, but you are a slave to pornography. That's why you writhering around like a snake when I said in Jesus' name. So I'm not now going to base my theology on a Christian having a demon because you called yourself a Christian. And when I said in Jesus' name at a prayer time, you started slithering. Do you all get that? I'm going to assume you're not a son, you're not a daughter, you're a slave. That's how Jesus taught me to look at it. Trust me, i got a lot of scriptures to go to. We really haven't hit on the notes yet. This is just the part where I underlined the title, okay? We haven't got to the points that I got. Are you guys with me? We have some time here today? Okay. i got to put in labor even though tomorrow's not Labor Day. Amen? You here? You here for the word. So he says, this is how you are to look at it. What one are you? You are to self-examine. Examine yourself. Am I a slave? Or am I a son? Am I addicted to my sin without freedom, continually and perpetually sinning? Or am I living like a son or a daughter in the house with freedom, with blessing, with a new nature as one that reflects my parent, my father, and my elder brother, Jesus? Am I a son or a daughter or am I a slave? Now look at verse 36 and highlight this for me, my brother, please and thank you. So if the son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. So that's how you know if you're really saved when you're dealing with these kinds of issues. A Christian who is deal dealing with internal sin will not remain in that sin, which I believe long enough for sin to turn into an occupation of Satan and for then you to become possessed. For a Christian to go from being a person that is a son to being possessed, they had to go through the stage of stop being a son and start being a slave. I'm just going by Jesus' words. If you can show me a Christian being demon-possessed, we'll go by those words. 
But what I can show you is that not everyone who claims to be in Christ is in Christ. Now, this is where another question comes up, where now it is, can somebody lose their salvation? Go to John 15, new tab, please. Absolutely. But this is where the Baptists and the the Pentecostals kind of get into their little debate. Because a Baptist will say, yes, I agree that there are people who make false confessions. They are false converts. They are not truly Christians. And those kind of people get demon-possessed. So, Joe, we go to the same place because we agree that Christians can't be demon-possessed. And the one that's over here being demon-possessed, that person must not have ever been a Christian. That's where we now disagree. And this is where we have problems with those who have deconstructed their faith, and then we come on to their shows, and then we debate with them or discuss with them, and half the debate is trying to convince them that they were never a Christian to begin with. That is pointless to me. And what I mean by that is if somebody says to you, well, I used to be a Christian, and now I do X, Y, and Z, I believe X, Y, and Z, you saying back to them, well, you must not really have been one. Because if you would have been one, no one would have snatched you out of his hands, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. All of those scriptures has to do with outside forces. It never said you couldn't walk away or be cut off because you wanted to get out. Jesus is not a divine kidnapper. He doesn't say at one point of your life, hey, do you want to go to heaven? And you're like, sure, I want to go to heaven. Like, you know, you're going to give me some candy up there? And then he brings you into the van, locks the van, no windows, take them, angels, we got them. And then at some point, you want to get out, and the angel's like, no, you're stuck here. Jesus does not save you like a kidnapper. Jesus, as you're going to see, gives you examples of what it's like. You're like a son or daughter in the house, and guess what? You can go to the pigs if you want. And what does he say to the son? Yes, the son returns, but it doesn't always happen. But in this illustration, it does, but we still get the lesson. What does he say, the father, to the son? My son who was once dead is now alive. That son was dead to that father. That's another discussion. So here's now where we can start to debate over this. But I want you to see in this that it's your choice to remain once you come in. You come in by faith, you go out by unbelief. I am the true vine, Jesus said. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Where is that branch, in Satan or in Jesus? If we had time, I would just, just go back to eight, chapter 8. He says, if you're in the a son, is in the family's house, a place in the family. John 15 says that if you are in him. Uh, stay right there, sir. Sorry, I didn't mean John um, 8, 15. I meant chapter 15. If you look here, John chapter 8, verse 35, it says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family. Now go to John 15. It says, if you are in him, but you are not bearing fruit, you are cut off. So what I say to every person who says, once saved, always saved, you can never get cut off. How is a sinner ever in Christ? Because they'll say, that's a sinner being cut out. No, the language of in him, in Christ, in family only belongs to believers. Does everybody see that? So you can be cut off as a believer. One more time. He cuts off, the Father cuts off every branch in me, in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. In other words, you are already free. That's what he is building upon in John 8. You're one of the ones that are making it because you're continuing in me. Now look at the word he uses right here. In King James, it says abide. Some may say abide. Here it says remain. Remain in me as I remain in you. You see how that works? That's called dancing with the divine. How many like dancing with the stars? Anybody dance here? Anybody? I definitely don't dance. Some people do dance. One guy's itching his eye. I don't know if you dance or you don't dance. Do you like dancing with the stars? Good, sir. 
Okay, now back to this. I call this dancing with the divine. If you ever see these, like, uh, these, uh, what do they call them, like TikTok videos and stuff, one of these guys from Dancing with the Stars, he's like, I hear you like to dance. And then another guy goes, I hear you like to dance. And they do a little dance, and then they say a little word, you know. You know what I'm talking about? And then they do this little thing together because they're dancing together, okay? When we dance with the divine, what's happening here? I'm remaining in Christ. What is Christ doing then? He is remaining in me. But now look at the next part. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Keep going. I am the vine. You are the branches. You remain, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now remember, sinners are already apart from God. He started off by saying, if you're in me and you don't bear fruit, I cut you off. Now look at verse 6. If you do not remain in me, to remain in something, did you at once have to be in that something? Okay, if I say remain in the building, are you in the building? Unless you believe you can transport your body into two places at once, you are here. And to remain someplace, that means you have to at once be there. Does everybody see how this blows up once saved, always saved? If you do not remain in me, so you are saved, Peter. You are saved, Matthew. You are saved. And some would possibly even say Judas. But if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Uh, withered. See, branches are picked, such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in me, I'll remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Going back to John chapter 8. Now, if I'm looking at sons and slaves and I look at that sons are free indeed, then if I see people dealing with sin, my first inclination is not to try to fit you into Christianity. My first inclination is to get you saved. Because I believe you could have made a profession of faith, you could have been engrafted in, and now you are out. And because you are out, you are now a slave to that sin, and that sin has its strings attached to spirits and powers and things that are over your life. So will I have the same outcome as my friend Carlos Anacondia? Absolutely. When Carlos and Akandi and I were doing deliverance services in a large church in Minneapolis, and I was there assisting him and learning from him, and it was quite unique to be next to him while he's doing deliverance because while the person was manifesting quite emotionally, he would stop and start talking to me about what they were doing and what he was discerning, and that was just a humbling moment to see God doing that. So I was taught hands-on. He would say they are a Christian who has allowed sin to come in, and God is setting them free. But how many know that I can get to the same place of freedom by saying it this way? Here is a backslider who has given their way to sin. Now Jesus is setting them free. So if Carlos and Acondia was here, we would probably have a five-minute debate and then go back to deliverance. Because the debate itself is not necessarily the issue. The issue is, are we going to offer deliverance and prayers and freedom for those who suffer from demonic activity? Now, here's something that I want you to understand and where we, and I put myself in this category, where we as Pentecostal Christians who believe in deliverance, who don't have a pope in a bulletproof bubble, we do have our problems. So we tease them a little bit. What is our problem? Trying to cast the devil out of everybody and everything. 
And then the problem with that is, is we begin to start to look foolish to the outside world because everything becomes a devil and a demon. If you notice here, we haven't even got to the devil yet. The devil will be coming up, and we'll look to some other passages to confirm what Jesus says, or rather to corroborate what he says. But notice here, the slave is a slave because of their own doing. There is no demon involved. So you can do bad all by yourself. How many know that? You don't need to be demon-possessed to want to live a homosexual lifestyle. So every single homosexual is not demon-possessed, though many might be. So to treat every homosexual as someone who is demon-possessed, and we're going to pray the gay away, we're just going to find ourselves on the next Netflix documentary being laughed at because we're not sincere in what we're doing. We're literally calling a sin of their will a demon. And the demon of homosexuality standing back going, no, they did that all on their own. You know, we make our decisions all on our own. I think sometimes people get into sin and the devil can't even catch up to them. Like, oh, man, you're going to be crazy like that today? Let me come on and get into that. Because, the, because humans have a spirit of their own. We only become slaves once we, in our free volition, in our will, become the slave of sin. Now we're going to have a master, and the master will come from Satan. He will come to take and control, but we will get there on our own. And so if you notice with Satan in the garden, how he conquered Eve, or Satan with Jesus and how Jesus conquered him. Satan's tactics were all the same. What does he do? He stands from the outside, and then he makes his temptation and his corruption of the mind through twisting the words of God. And then once uh, Eve gave into that twisting, then he could come, as it were, on the inside and affect her from the inside, cause spiritual death. And so we as Christians ought not to think of every sinner as being demon-possessed, but we ought to see that every sinner can have the mindset or be under the power of Satan, and they need to know that they are not just on their own in some land called neutral land because they're not a religious fanatic like us. No, you are in another land, you under another power, and it's a satanic power, even if you're not demon-possessed. Ephesians chapter 2, please. So you can be under the influence of Satan, under his realm of power and authority, share his worldview, his way of thinking, and yet still not be demon-possessed. Demon possession is a certain kind of bondage that comes to slaves of sin who now have open doors that spirits have taken advantage of. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins, in the ways you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are what? Disobedient. But what did they have to be? Disobedient. They had to be choosing to live outside of Christ. Now, the spirit of this age, which is known as Satan and his demonic powers, you can learn more about this in the same book in Ephesians 6. Now you are under that influence, but not necessarily demon-possessed. You guys see the difference? Now, going back to John chapter 8, and I want to tie this together with the big theme of Christian freedom. Now Jesus is going to get even more deeper with them because they get upset. He says, if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you heard from your father. 
Somebody go, oh, snap. You heard people talk about your mama. He's going to talk about your father. Verse 39, this is where they got done in. He just told them, I know you're Abraham's descendants. Didn't he just say, just go up a little bit so everybody can see it. He just told them, I know who you are. I'm not dumb. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. In verse 39, we're Abraham's descendants. Abraham is our father. They think that's getting them out of the licking that's now coming. This is where Jesus says some things that might offend the Oprah version of Jesus that you have in your mind, okay? How many are ready for the real Jesus? Okay, this is not the one you find on the History Channel special or what most universities are talking about. This is what Jesus does in the Bible. He puts people in their place. He says, if you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father. Now they say, we are not bastard or illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said back to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God has sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Are you deaf and dumb? That's what he's talking to them like that. He says, why are you not getting this? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That was the introduction. Are you ready for the message? I want to give you the message. Do you have a few moments? Come on, let me get to this as quick as I can. When we look at Christian freedom, it's based upon the revelation of who Jesus is. And we are kept free by staying in Christ, remaining in him, believing in him, and applying our life to obey his commands. If we find ourselves giving into temptation to the point where sin becomes repetitive and then becomes a part of our mindset, we are now in the danger of being cut off from Christ as a vine, a branch getting cut out of the vine, and having now Satan be our father and become the slave of sin and be so deceived that even if the real Jesus was standing in front of us, we would be calling him a liar and calling ourselves right. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit more like what we deal with in this culture? Because otherwise, what you have to say to answer the question, can a Christian be demon-possessed, you have to say, can someone have Christ as their Lord, be in the family, be engrafted in, be obedient to Christ, living according to the beliefs, become a slave of sin, and then become possessed by the spirit of the father, the devil, and be under his control. doesn't sound like anything what we just heard. Can I hear an amen? If you trust me. Now let me show you some goodies. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. Somebody say, my house belongs to God. You are a spiritual house, and it can only belong to one occupant at one time. I will show you that with Samuel and his interaction with Saul. I want you to notice in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14, Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, talking about David, in the presence of his brothers. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord... Brother, can you just go right up? Uh, you just, yeah. And from that day on, I'm starting in verse 13, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel went to Ramah. Now look at verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from... Had departed from who? Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Does everybody see what just happened? 
This will blow up once saved, always saved, and blow up Christians can have demons in the same place. So we make the Baptist upset and the hyper-charismatic upset. All in the same verse. Thank you very much. Equal offender. Yes, because right here, he had the Spirit of God. If you have the Spirit of God, are you saved? Bible says clearly you can't be saved without the Spirit of God. Those who have the Spirit of God cry out, Abba, Father. We see that King Saul was saved. He was as saved as anyone could possibly be. To say Saul was not saved is to make salvation an incomprehensible understanding, you, uh, an incomprehensible event in people's life. If I cannot understand if whether or not Saul is saved by having the Spirit of God, then what kind of confusion am I going to run into in this Scripture? It is clearly meant to tell you that Saul was a believer. He had the Spirit of God. But because of continual disobedience, his heart had become hardened by sin. And because of that sin, he was cut out from the Spirit of God and then was taken over by an evil spirit. Go to Hebrews, please, chapter 3. Somebody say, show it to me again. Because my neighbor needs to hear it. Come on, somebody say, repeat yourself, preacher. My neighbor needs this. Amen. Hebrews chapter 3, quickly, quickly. I know I'm moving. Go down a little bit, please. Notice how the author, go down, please. Notice how the author here uses Israel as an example. Verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, what did Saul have? The Holy Spirit, right? What did Saul have? And then, he, and then what came upon him when the Holy Spirit left? An evil spirit. It says, so listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me for 40 years Then saw what, after they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. Help the preacher preach, sir. Thank you. And, and they have not known my ways. Come on. So I have declared on oath in my anger. God is angry with them. They shall never enter my rest. But weren't they his people? They were his people. And then he rebukes them and cuts them off, just like how Jesus said he'll do with the branches. Am I not talking the truth here? I'm showing you again for the neighbor who doesn't get it. Look at verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters. When I was in the Baptist cemetery, I mean seminary, I had to argue this over and over again. They said, well, that's, that doesn't mean Christian brothers and sisters. I'm like, man, come on, professor. Where in the book of Hebrews does the author ever refer to a group of people as a Dalfoy in the Greek, brothers other than the Christian brothers? He says after God had cut off people who once believed because now they're unbelievers, he now makes it even more clear in the application. He says, see to it, brothers. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns from the living God. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our conviction firmly to the end. Okay? So do I believe in once saved, always saved? No, but I believe in the one who is saved will always stay saved if they want to be saved. The one who wants to be saved will always be saved. Nothing from the outside can ever pull you out. That is Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is the scripture where Jesus says, no one can take you out of my hand. He is the good shepherd. He will not lose one. So that is your choice whether or not to remain. Now, I want you to think about this as we answer that question, but bigger than the question, because most of you probably don't even care about that very much, but the bigger question is how do we live free? We live free by staying in step with the Spirit. Now, go with me to John chapter 7, verse 70. As uh, Vinny comes, I'm going to try to summarize this in closing. How do we remain free indeed? Because that's our promise. How many want to live free indeed? How many don't want to figure out if you can be a Christian that's demon-possessed? You just want to live free, okay? 
Well, what you do, look at John chapter 7, verse 70. What you do is you live for Jesus and obey his word. John chapter 7, verse 70. There is no 70 of John? That's funny. That's on me, folks. I have no idea. I wrote it here. Go to Luke chapter 22, verse 3. Good thing I got backups on backups here, amen. John 7, 70. I know, I got to tell myself that uh, to, to laugh at that later. Right now, I'm just a little embarrassed. Um, well, that's what you get when you go on the fly. One of my friends actually said that to a pastor. The pastor said, hey, I'm just, uh, you know, kind of going on the fly, preaching whatever God gives me. And then my friend said to him, do you ramble a lot? And then you could see my, that my, uh, my other friend, he kind of didn't want to lie. He had to be honest. He's like, yeah, sometimes, you know. Is it 670? Thank you. That's my wife. Let's give it up for Nancy for getting her husband's back. But let's stay here, though. Stay here. We'll go to 670 in just a moment, but I want to show you this. Then Satan entered Judas. Why didn't Satan enter Judas before? He probably wasn't cut out yet. There is a time when a believer reaches the end of God's patience in their willingness to submit to him. Sometimes we got to be careful, Christians, because a lot of you go around saying God's love is so unconditional, he'll never stop doing love things for you and all that. My friends, he's not sending people to hell that he loves. At some point, there's a condition to his love. What we mean, just let me help you, because I don't want to take away your favorite Sunday school phrase that he loves me unconditional. Let me just help you understand what that means. What it means is there is no condition put on his love upon those who are living on this earth that you have to do to receive that love. He already loves you. But there is a condition of salvation. See, that's where, you, that's where people who say it, they miss it. God loves us unconditionally, meaning whether you're the worst of the worst, best of the best, it doesn't matter, even as the Bible says, we're all sinners, falling short. So there is no condition we have to meet to be loved. He just loves us. While we're on the earth, we're his creation. He loves us. But there is a condition to receiving his salvation. So just make sure you don't contradict yourself, because if they, somebody might be slick back to you and go, well, you believe God loves me unconditionally? Yeah, yeah. Well, then he'll never send me to hell, right? Because he's not going to send someone to hell that he loves. And then you have to try to figure out, like, how does God send people to hell that he loves, you know? Like he's some sadistic God, like, you know, torturing those he loves. It's not true. God is sending, uh, allowing people to go to hell, those who have hated him, and now with his love, he has now fulfilled filled his righteous requirements, and now out of righteousness, he has now brought justice. So he loves out of righteousness, and he judges out of righteousness, and now love has turned into justice and to judgment, and you have to accept both. I'm just helping you here. So notice, Satan enters then. So I want to be careful when I say you have Satan while you're still professing Christ, doing your best to live for Jesus, because some of you struggle with sin. And then you think you're demon-possessed and you need me to pray it out of you instead of you learning the maturity of a Christian, how to live in the holiness of God by faith and repentance, renewing of the mind, and you want an easy way out. You would rather, and I'm just saying this because I know this is not who, who I was raised up under, Carlson County, but others. You would rather us use and abuse you, hold out bags, have you spit in it, do two hours of deliverance just so you don't have to take responsibility for the sins you're in. So that's why quite often what you want me to cast out is not a demon, it's your free will. 
And you see here with Judas that the Spirit did not enter Judas until the time came when he fully now rejected Christ. And now he made his decision. And if you know the story of Jesus, he said, now do what you have to do. It was over for him, in other words. I want to show this to you quickly. Write down these three points. Believing Christians can have demons is what I was just saying. Number one, removes the call of obedience. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 6, and 7. Can we just open up three new tabs quickly. 2 Timothy 3, 6, and 7. Romans 12, 1. 2 Corinthians 12, 11, And Colossians chapter 2. So here's what I have noticed in the Christian debate is that most of the time Christians are using the discussion of demonology to try to hide what they should be responsible for doing themselves. Did I just say it too fast, my brother? 2 Timothy 3.6, please. We are called to live holy and responsible before our lives. Look at what this says. Talking about false teachers and who they attract and go to first. They are the kind of, these are false teachers, who worm their way into homes and gain control. Sorry, feminist ladies here. uh, But let's just say, as the Bible says, who gain control over gullible women. You can be gullible men, but just follow his traction here. These false teachers, they know what they're looking for in their followers. I always say this. When I watch the cult specials specials on Hulu and Netflix and all this, it always starts off so cool as they tell their story. Well, I was raised a Christian, but I was looking for more. So they joined this sex cult. They joined this yoga cult. And then it always ends up with, and then I found myself getting branded by a hot iron with the cult's leader on my fanny. I ended up in a dark closet for three days, locked in a Scientology room. You know, and they always uh, try to make it sound like their intentions have nothing to do with how they got there because the abuser took advantage of them. I understand. Everybody get this. Abusers abuse. That's all on them. But in this case, and what we're talking about, deception, especially among adults, we place ourselves into abusers' hands when we allow ourselves to be gullible. Abusers will be judged for abuse. But you, ma'am, will be judged for stepping away from Christianity following an abuser. You will not be judged for the abuse, but you will be judged for allowing yourself to step out of this. Jesus said, my words are a rock. The wise man builds their house on a rock. Those who do not listen are like a foolish one who builds their house on sand. When the storms and the wind came, that house went down and its crash was great. I know we don't always understand our consequences, and I have mercy on victims of all kinds of abuse. Do not hear me ever justifying abuse. But what I am saying is to adults with free will and volition, when you move from the Word of God onto sand, your crash will be great. So they look for gullible women, watch this, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And remember where Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And that's why, listen to me, as a pastor, most of the deliverance ministries that always keep teaching Christians they have demons are filled with women that are weighed down by their sins and gullible and got to get delivered every week. I'm just telling you, when you follow those ministries, it is not led by the masculine men of the Word of God or the truth-seeking women. It is gullible, emotional feminism. And you need to learn to love the truth and live free and live holy and not be a victim 
to false teaching or the devil. Go to my Facebook, please, good sir. Find a picture of the 300. When the devil comes, this is how he finds us. Go just, yeah, you're already there, my brother. There you go. Hit on that picture. That's how he finds me. You understand? That's how he finds you, too, as a sister. Don't think I'm, don't think I'm, I'm having anything against powerful women here. I'm just saying what the Scripture said. The Scripture says that this kind of effeminate behavior is what false teachers look for, and that's what gets you caught up in this kind of a ministry. Though I'm saying I didn't come from that, there are genuine people that just have differences, but they both work out. The genuine ones work out the same way, which is let's get the job done, Joe. Let's, okay, we got somebody here. They got demons. They got issues. We'll figure it out. Figure it out whether they were saved or not later. But the one who's always up in your life, do you got a spirit? Do you got a spirit? Oh, I'm discerning. You got a spirit. How about I cast the spirit of stupidity out of you? I'll be the first apostle to cast the spirit of stupidity out of you. Because we as Christians are not supposed to be walking around as effeminate sissies that are always being pushed back by the devil. We are to be men and women of God more than conquerors. And when the devil steps up, there's going to be something. When he starts some stuff, there's going to be some stuff. We're going to trample on scorpions and snakes. And no evil shall by any means harm us. We will cast out devils, speak in tongues, poisonous snakes won't stop us. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's how we come into the spiritual battle. That's how we come. Number one, it takes away people's responsibility. They want to join a cast out the devil club. I had a guy doing this in the church before. He said, cast devils out of me, pastor. I said, I don't think you have any. He goes, no, I got a lot. I go, okay, Satan, leave him now. He makes this little noise. I just had three leave me. And I'm like, now I'm going to cast out the spirit of stupidity. Loose him, dumb spirit, in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, man, I've seen the wacky and the weird. I'm not gullible. I remember going down to, I lived in New Orleans seven years. Most people playing with demons haven't seen a real one. I didn't get taught by Carlos and the Condia first. I learned it through the School of Hard Knocks living in New Orleans seven years. I dealt with the people who ran the shops of the witchcraft and all of that. One time I got chased by a guy that had a demon because I was so scared I didn't know what to do. Like the seven sons of Sceva, I'm being honest with you. But I came back and I said, never again, devil. I'm not running anymore. I'll stand my ground. One time I was coming by a homeless ministry, and they used to love to do this in the South. Oh, I'm coming to New Orleans, feed the homeless. Man, that's crazy right there. You're not, most people are not ready for that. In New Orleans, what homeless people, gutter punks as they called them back then. So I, I came by, and they were just trying to politely cast a demon out of somebody that was basically throwing everybody around, was causing a scene. Everybody was listening to this, and I know the difference between insanity and a demon. Okay, insanity can be fixed through health and things as well as possibly a phys, uh, physical miracle but this was a real demon and I just came up and I said okay guys relax relax okay we, we put on the show everybody sees this guy's got a demon in the name of Jesus Satan you stop right now loose this man and let him go he instantly fell to the ground came up delivered they were just by chance a Baptist church and they said how'd you do it and I said with the authority of Jesus Christ 
We, we don't have to make this into a show. As a matter of fact, sometimes I cut the show short because the demons then will uh, uh, bring fear to the audience because of how much power this thing has. You can watch the one I have in India. That's one of the ones that we have up online. We just kind of shut it down because I was trying to talk to the person. Because normally I want to know what has happened in your life. How can we pray for you, then cast the demons out? But this thing was causing so much of a mess, I just did that same thing there. So we're not looking for gullible people, amen? Number two, it makes super apostles, 2 Corinthians 12, 11. Paul had to deal with people that always thought they were better than him. When people go around telling you all the time, I'm going to see a demon cast out of your life, or these musicians always sing about my demons, what they do is now make people who are demon deliverers the super people. So you go to your counselor. She helps you get free from your demons. She becomes like your God in a sense. You don't have demons if you're not demon-possessed. You just have bad habits. Does everybody understand that? Stop calling your bad habits demons. You're giving the devil too much credit. I hate when people do that. You haven't met a demon yet. You don't know what demons are like. You're taking it too lightly. You're using the word frivolously. You just have bad habits. Let God help you and transform you. I will teach you how to keep his commands in our discipleship program. But you have to understand, you don't have demons, you have bad habits. So what people want to do is they want to put themselves over you. I'll help you get rid of your demons. Paul says, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. (laughs) How many parents have ever said that before? You can find that in the Bible. Did you know that was in the Bible? You guys brought me to this. (laughs) I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have had you out by 1 o'clock, but you guys were a little bit slower today. Now you're mad at me. I have made a fool out of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have commended you, but now, oh, he says, I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not least to the super apostles, even though I'm nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, miracles. How were you inf- how were you inferior to the other churches, except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. So this is what I want to say to everybody. Forgive me for not acting like I cast demons out of you every day. You see, because some of you want to go to a ministry where that pastor cast demons out of you. Bring my son up here because I don't want to offend anybody. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do this to him and you all pray for a church kid, okay? Let's give Lucas a hand clap. Now this is going to feel weird. It's going to be a little bit strange, but no one's going to have to see your facial expression, okay? This is what some of you want me to do to you every time you come. Satan loves Now, buy my book, Holy Water, and come to the conference. Give it up for my son. See, that's how a lot of people think of deliverance. You don't want me to teach you the Ten Commandments. You don't want me to teach you how to follow God's command. You just want me to shout, pour oil over you, play fast music, and show you how powerful I am. I'm sorry I don't pimp you like the person on your Facebook video. I'm sorry I'm not keeping you suckling on my spiritual teat so you can keep coming back for your deliverance. I'm sorry that I'm teaching you how to cut your own steak, part the beard, man or woman up. I want you to be on fire for Jesus so that when the devil comes looking for you, you said, hey, you didn't bring enough. You got to bring some more of your friends. Go get legion. I got something for them. 
One of my heroes, Lester Summerall, had been casting out demons in a third world country where they were still worshiping and serving witchcraft and all of that. And what the devil always does, every time I do deliverance or we see demons cast out, it's the same thing. They come mess with you at night as the preacher, as the deliverer. People are already nodding their heads. Lester Summerall had been casting out demons all night long. He gets woken up by a demon shaking and rattling his bed. He knows it's a demon. He says, Satan, go in the name of Jesus. Bed stops rattling. Place turns back into peace. True story by a man that lived his entire life for Jesus, never stole a penny, never cheated on his wife. This is what he says next. He said he looked at his bed and goes, my bed was over there, devil. I'm going to have you come back and move my bed. Put my bed back in the name of Jesus. A man that I trust, a man that has loved his wife, always been a man of integrity, says that on his testimony, that bed shook and went right back to where it was at. That's how we deal with devils and demons around here. In Jesus' name, can I hear an amen? Did you know he always talks like this? I thought we were just visiting a church today. What is, we're talking about demons? What's going on? I don't know. He, he lost me with the Pope joke. I have so many Catholic friends. I know, I'm not coming back to this church. Yeah, I understand what people think. I'm not unaware. Go to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Last thing is, is it takes away the fullness of Christ in you. It takes away the fullness of Christ because you begin to think to yourself that you're not the temple of God. One of the scriptures that I wanted to show you was that we are God's temple. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't have time to go there. I'm trying to be short. Please be patient. Thank you. You are God's temple. And so it wants to take away personal responsibility. And then number two, it wants to make somebody over you who's going to always be there to deliver you. And number three, it takes away the fullness of your temple always being filled with Jesus. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. How many believe Jesus was 100% divine? Now keep following the thought. And in Christ, you have been brought to what? fullness. How much of Christ is in you? Fullness. Just put another tab. Band, come on up. We're going to get ready to close, but I want to show you the fullness doctrine. Matthew 12, 43 talks about what our spiritual lives are like when we get delivered from demons. I had spirits in me, uh, friends, saints. Listen to me. I had spirits in me. When I got saved 20 years ago at my mother's kitchen table, I was a high school dropout. Arrested eight times, tore up from the floor up, needed a checkup from the neck up. I was tormented by my own thoughts and by thoughts that were invading my thoughts. And when my mom prayed for me, I came to Christ. But there was so much bondage all over my mind, so many voices still happening. I thought I was going crazy. My father came home and at the living room couch, he cast those spirits out. And from that day forward, I was a born-again, free disciple, able to keep the commands of God. Are you guys listening? I had a dream about two or three nights later. 
Because when I used to do a lot of strong drugs, I tried to slap myself back into sobriety to do different things. My sister died drinking and driving. I drove all the time high and whacked out on LSD, crystal meth. So one of my tricks was I'd go into the mirror and I'd go, you know, I need to get right. I need to get ready. I need to go do this thing. And one of the things I would say after I would do all that is, devil, if you're real, you have to show yourself to me because I don't want to die and go to hell. I was a church kid tormented by my own conviction. And the devil would never show himself to me because he's a lying, sneaky snake. That's what he is. He's a liar. But that day that I got saved, I felt so many things leave my spirit. I got spiritually free. It was a deliverance. It was real. I was able to now go from just believing and confessing to being a free son in the house of God. Well, a few nights later, while I was dreaming in my sleep, I went to a mirror and said that same exact thing. And in my dream, I saw the image of what I think possessed me. It was an emaciated version of me, a drugged out version of me, a perverted version of me. And that was what was making me into its image. That spirit wanted me to do drugs for its sake. That spirit wanted me to be vile for its pleasure. I was serving that spirit and that pleasure. And in that moment, I was afraid, but I spoke just the words that I could in that dream. In the name of Jesus, go. And it leapt out from the mirror, went out from the room, and the glory of God changed that dream into flashes of light. And I woke up that day thankful to understand that's what it's like to be free. This is what Jesus said. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied swept clean and put in order so this is for the person that's been set free but they did not fill it with the spirit of God remember Saul had the spirit of God and when the spirit of God left that house was clean wasn't it but then the spirits came back and possessed him and that's what it's saying is if you've ever had issues and God sets you free you are free but if that freedom ends you get cut off from God or you're no longer serving God and it finds your house unclean then it goes back takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself they go to live in there and the final condition of that person is worse than the first and then he compares it to a generation he says that's how it is with this generation and I would say the same thing about America you think we're bad just because we've made some bad decisions no we're bad because we're more demon possessed than we've ever been we're seven times worse than the 60s. We're seven times worse than even the slave era. In the slave era, we only killed a few million of slaves. God have mercy. The slave owners go to hell. But listen, in the abortion era, over 20 million just African Americans. 50 million Americans in abortion. We are more murderous, full of lies and deceit. That's what's happened. And so what should we do? We should be filled with the fullness. Going to that Colossians passage. Altar workers, would you come, please? If you see them moving, hopefully you'll know you'll move in just a moment. But would you be patient? I just got to show it to them. For, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, rather. We need the Spirit of God. How many need the Spirit of God? If you are dealing with demonic spirits today, and I'm just going to give you a short list. It's not all of it, but if it's a short list, it can help somebody. If you are dealing with repetitive nightmares that are continually affecting the way you sleep and the way you think about life when you're up, you might be being affected in your, your time of sleep by spirits. I'm not trying to freak you out, but you may. 
We'll pray for you gently, calmly, politely, not thinking you're demon-possessed, but we'll pray that whatever's affecting you can stop and you'll go home with authority like Lester Summerall. If you are in an addictive behavior or in a sexual perversion, not all addicts or all perverts are demon-possessed. I'm clearly saying that, right? So if I get called on the 5 o'clock news to cast a demon out of the homosexual uh, newscaster, everybody can say, that's not what he said, right? Do I have a demon? No, I didn't say that. You're acting like one, but you don't have one, okay? If you have an addiction or you have a perversion that you feel torments you, torments you, let us pray for you. And then number three, if you have made oaths or covenants with another religion that involves spirits, that involves the occult, your tarot card reader, your friend who's a psychic, and you have taken oaths with them, you have slept with uh, charms under your pillows, you have offered up things to these spirits, and you are tormented. It could have just been a Ouija board with you and your buddies. I get it. But I'm saying you're tormented. And let me just pause here. How many have time for one more story? Okay. Just for you four, I'm going to do it. So our church went out and prayed in front of a psychic place, just like we always do, to pray for peace and the best for them and for evil spirits to leave. That got put on Facebook and it went viral. So we went from COVID going viral, BLM going viral, and then we go from the psychic thing going viral. We had over about a 1,000 people start contacting us, threatening us with all of their curses and all of that. Good thing I have the power of God. Amen. So I just do what I do. I make it even more of a scene. I started debating anybody who wanted to come on live. I went live for like eight hours, three days in a row. I just said, hey, if you want to talk about but I'm here. So I had one woman come on who's a leader of one of these cult groups online. She came on and started debating me. It's all there on the witchcraft page, Stand Against Witchcraft. You can find it on Facebook. And she's telling me all the things she does with her friendly spirits and ghosts. Then I asked her just a simple question. What well, do you drink blood? Because that's kind of a thing they have to do to get some of that power. She said, oh, I'd rather not say. I'm like, that's something you should easily be able to say. Okay? So I just want you to know the context. You might say, well, Pastor, you, you were just looking for attention. No, I wasn't. Like I said, it got a little bit worse before it got better. But then as we got through all of that kind of showiness where everybody wanted to try to debate the pastor and prove that there are good spirits and bad spirits, people started hanging around the chat rooms and the live video feeds who really wanted deliverance. Here's a story. My wife, others have seen it. She comes on and she says, I started off just like this one, good spirits. They were friendly but now they're tormenting me and I can't get them to stop. I then said out of respect for her, I'm going to end the live feed. You can see me in the live feed with her. She confesses to me she would take her menstrual blood and put it on an altar for blood sacrifice. Confesses it to us. She said that they torment her night and day and we began to pray for her. Tears streamed down her face. She called out on the name of Jesus and got set free. In the name of Jesus. I'm not saying every person who watches Harry Potter has a demon. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it can start off playing around, talking to nice spirits because they're pretty deceptive. Even the devil can appear as an angel of light. And then before you know it, you are offering a spirit your menstrual blood in hopes that it will stop. And only Jesus sets free at that point. So if you are in that place today, we've got an answer. Everyone else, just know and love Jesus. If you don't, if you haven't been born again, come to know Christ. I didn't mean to scare the hell out of you, but if that happened, I'm happy. You need heaven, not hell. Just live free. Don't give your life to sin. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit?
There is no spirit like the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. He stands guard over your spirit and soul today. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Thank you for your patience. I hope that we answered that question. Father, we love you. We honor you. We don't mean to be controversial for controversial sake. We love your truth. And we pray your truth will set us free today, starting with me. May I forever be a disciple committed to your word. Right now, if you need Jesus to set you free, you can start making your way to these altars. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But if you need Jesus to set you free from anything, addiction or a spirit, come up and Jesus will do it.